Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. Whenever you go to a bank to open up a new credit card or if you want to open an account online or something, you always get confronted with the terms and conditions or the end user lead, uh, uh, the end u- license agreement, the end user license agreement. It's a lot of reading. Does, does anybody actually ever read those things before you click accept? You're one weird person in the front over here who actually does all of that reading. I must admit, I'm one of those weirdos who started to read all those things because I don't want to sign my life away without realizing it. Uh, but most of the time, we just click accept so that we can move forward. In 2013, a documentary was put on called Terms and Conditions May Apply. And they said that if you were to read every single term and condition that was presented to you in a single year, you'd be reading for 180 hours a year. And so most people just click yes or click accept or just sign on the dotted line in order to move forward. But sometimes it can have a little bit of a disastrous effect. Recently, two people who were renting a home, they were sent an agreement, the rental agreement on a Word document, not on a PDF. And so they decided to have a little bit of fun and they changed the terms and conditions and they added in a clause that said, the lesser shall provide birthday cake for the lessees in the weekend closest to their birthdays, which are June 7th and February 17th. Vanilla cake is not acceptable. The landlord did not read this, he signed it and was obligated to provide cake twice a year. In, uh, in uh, 2010, for, as an April Fool's joke, the, uh, the games retailer GameStation in the UK, they decided to add something onto their terms and conditions to see if anybody would notice. And they added into the clause that if you accepted, you agreed to grant us a non-transferable option to claim for now and forevermore your immortal soul. Should we wish to exercise this option, you agree to surrender your immortal soul and any claim you may have on it within five working days of receiving written communication from gamestation.co.uk or one of its duly authorized minions. Seven and a half thousand people agreed. In 2014, Europol wants to illustrate the dangers of just accepting things on public Wi-Fi. And so in conjunction with a security company called F-Secure, they included the Herod clause onto receiving free Wi-Fi only if the recipient agreed to assign their firstborn child to us for the duration of eternity. Six people agreed. On the flip side, a man who wanted to get back at the banks, he wasn't very happy with the interest rate that was being provided to him. And so he decided to rewrite the terms and conditions for his his credit card contract. And so he rewrote the entire thing saying that he would pay no interest, he would have no monthly fees, and he'd have no limit. He submitted that to the bank and the bank signed it without reading it. So he didn't pay any legal fees, any interest, anything like that. Eventually, they took him to court and they lost. And all he had to do was pay for his principal interest or his principal debt. Have you ever been in a moment where you said yes to something and straight away you regretted it because you knew that you should have said no? Maybe it was that one night stand and he was just so dreamy, and he just said all the right things, and his body was like the statue of David. And so you said yes, but now you ended up with a pregnancy that you hadn't planned for. 
or maybe that friend of yours. You know that he's got a bad track record when it comes to money, but he had this fantastic idea for a business model. And against all your own knowledge and all your own advice, you thought, hey, let me give this a shot. You said yes, but now you're broke because you didn't say no. Or perhaps an underhanded business deal, you said yes, but now you're facing charges. Or whatever it might have been. It's, it's quite disastrous when we say yes, when we should have said no. All of our regrets of the past that for things that we have done come down to this one thing where we said yes when we should have said no. See, no in today's context is seen as a very negative thing because it means, well, it means no. But we live in a world where everything is about yes. We're on the back end of decades and decades of motivational speakers telling us that we must just say yes. Even Barack Obama's electoral campaign was yes, we can. Everything about the message from Western culture these days when it comes to our bodies is say yes, say yes, say yes to your feelings, say yes to your desires, say yes. We become so accustomed to saying yes, to hearing yes, to expecting yes, without realizing that we're losing the power of saying no. Some of us say yes so much that we don't even know who we are anymore. You see, yes while it is positive, it seems, if somebody only ever says yes to something, you never know where they stand. You never know who they truly are. But no actually represents power. No represents authority. It represents boundaries. It represents commitments. It represents us doing things from a point of conviction. No is a very powerful thing, yet we've lost the power of no. Do you realize that the devil only ever really attacks you in the areas where you have said no and not so much in the areas where you have said Yes. In fact, no was present all the way from the beginning of time. God is the first one who said no. So let's not think that no is a negative thing. God gave the first no. And for all the yeses that he gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, yes, you can eat from that tree, yes to that tree, yes to that tree, but no to this one, the weight of that no was far more powerful than any of the other yeses that he had shared with them. I'd like to read to you from Genesis chapter three, verses one to seven. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from, the tree, from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the, tree, uh, from the fruit in the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Can you see how the enemy works? He doesn't blatantly confront it. He just adds in, did God, did he really say? I know he said maybe no, but is there not maybe room for a maybe or maybe room for a yes? <clears throat> he says, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The first example of hindsight being 2020. We've all had those moments where the moment we've done the thing, that we, the moment we said yes to something, we look back and we're like, ah, man, I wish I had said no. One yes where there should have been a no kind of messed it up for the rest of us for all eternity. <laughs> One yes where there should have been a no can plunge us into debt, 
into brokenness, into darkness, sickness, divorce, shame, unwanted pregnancies. But thank God that even when we say yes, when we should have said no, he still says no to us. No, I'm not done. No, there's still hope. No, you can get up again. No, I'm not finished with you yet. No, you failed, but the future is still bright. Thank God that he's still willing to work with us and help us and lift us and carry us and say, no, this does not define you. In fact, this is gonna set you up for the next breakthrough that you experience. I wanna read to you from Titus chapter two. It's a powerful portion of scripture that I don't think is very popular in this day and age. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, not just to a select few, not just to those who get it right all the time, but this grace and salvation is open to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to learn, church, how to say no. I wanna share with you today, the title of the message is The Power of a No. The Power of a No. Is everyone doing okay this morning? My wife and I heard a phrase a couple years ago that governs a lot of the decisions that we make for our family. And the phrase goes like this. What you say yes to determines what you say no to. And what you say no to determines what you say yes to. So if we want to say yes to redoing our kitchen, we're saying no to a family holiday in December. If we're saying yes to buying a whole bunch of luxuries from Woolworths every month, we're saying no to increasing our savings. If we say no to petty arguments and we say no to treating each other badly, and if we say no to our own impulses and desires, we're saying yes to intimacy in marriage, yes to trust, and yes to, to unity in our marriage. What you say yes to determines what you say no to, and what you say no to determines what you say yes to. I don't want to live in the realm where I'm constantly saying yes to things that are unimportant and that's forcing me to say no to what really matters. No, I wanna live in the realm where I'm saying no to small things, to petty things, to things that are gonna break me down so that I can say yes and I can receive the true blessing that God has for me and for my life and for my future and for my family. My ability to say no empowers me for a greater future in God, but saying no is hard. It's not an easy thing to say no because there's so much that, that's weighed against it. Just, just four things I wanna share with you that make saying no particularly difficult. Firstly, fear. Saying no is a scary thing because you don't know how the other person is going to respond. There's fear of offending them. Sometimes we're just a little bit too nice as Christians. Can I, can I just say, we just gotta stop being nice as Christians. Be a good Christian, be a, an upstanding Christian, but don't only ever be nice, because if you're only ever being nice, you're just saying yes to everything. We're not called to be nice Christians, and sometimes we need to offend, and it's, it's okay to offend. Do you know how much Jesus offended people, and he managed to get away with it, granted he was crucified, but hey, it turned out well in the end. We're so afraid of offending people, and it's a legitimate thing because we want to do relationships well. We're afraid of creating enemies, of pushing people so far away that we find ourselves alone. We're afraid of rejection, that if we stand up for something that we believe in, that everyone's gonna look down on us and everyone's gonna criticize us, so we're afraid of being rejected. 
The second reason why we say no is because of insecurities. Not knowing how they'll respond and not knowing if I've got the wherewithal to defend myself. Not feeling strong enough or powerful enough or opinionated enough or resolute enough. We feel so insecure and feel like the other person has got greater power. And so we rather shrink back and say yes instead of stepping up and saying no. Perhaps we avoid saying no because we've got timid convictions. We know what the Bible says. We know what God wants. We know it's good and what's right, but we just don't know how to defend it. And we're afraid of defending it because we think it's going to cause offense and rejection and all those other things. And so our convictions become weak and we don't stand up for them. Maybe it comes out of uncontrolled desire. We've trained our bodies so well to only ever respond to a yes that we feel overpowered in saying no. We've, we've been so good at giving our bodies everything that we want and, and feeding it and feeding it and feeding it with its lusts and its desires and its drives that we feel like we actually can't ever say no again because that addiction is too great. I'll tell you what, there is no no that is too big. There's no control over your body that you cannot have. There's no control that your body has over you that you cannot break. It just means we need to get to the point where we're able to say no once again. I want to share with you today just five areas in which we need to be able to say no. You guys doing okay? In the words of my pastor, because I miss him and he's not here, it's getting very quiet in this Presbyterian church. A few areas that we need to say no. Firstly, we need to say no to labels. Say no to labels. Have you ever been labeled by someone? However unfairly, you made a mistake and suddenly you're branded in that way for the rest of your life. You, you, you make a mistake, you err, you err on something, people have a presumption about you and you've been labeled in a certain way. I remember growing up, I carried a couple of labels that I thought were very, very unfair. It must have been in grade five, we were on a school tour. And all of us one evening were sitting around uh, a TV watching. The whole grade was there watching Beverly Hills 90210, wholesome viewing for 11-year-olds at that day and age. Now, I was sitting in between um, two of my closest friends. One of them was a guy, and one of them was a girl. Unexpectedly, the girl had an involuntary eruption of air that exploded out of her nether regions very loudly and very noticeably. Now, I was a sensitive kid, and I was a loyal kid. And so my very first thought that went through my 11-year-old mind was, I know what's going to happen. Everyone else has heard this. Everyone else is now going to smell this. And so everyone else is going to push away. I'm not going to be like everyone else. I am loyal. I'm a friend. I'm going to show solidarity, and I'm going to sit next to her so that she knows she is not alone. Well, as I predicted, everyone else moved away. But as I didn't predict, so did she. And so there I was, everyone forming a perimeter around me, thinking that I was the one. And so for the rest of that tour, I was labeled as the flatulator. (laughs) It did wonders for my 11-year-old little soul. The following year, um, I picked up gymnastics, and I was actually quite a good gymnast. 
And, um, but I had to do sports throughout the year. And I wasn't big on team sports. I didn't want to have to interact with other people, but I had to. So summer was swimming, throughout the year was gymnastics, but winter I had to do soccer as well. Luckily, I played in the defense, and so all the action happened on the other side of the field. And while all the action was happening over there, I took my opportunity while all the action was there to just practice my handstands or do like a backflip or two, completely distracted from the game. Now, the one benefit of having done gymnastics was that if a ball was flying up over here, I didn't need to jump to get it. I could just lift my leg and just kick it above my head, and the ball went flying away. And that earned me the nickname, the ballerina. (laughs) Come to high school, I'm fully in the swing of puberty, which is really so great for everyone. And that was doing wonders for my skin. And so I had really bad, like proper pizza-faced acne. And starting at a new school, you know, obviously you're looking for a bunch of friends, and I found a guy, his name was Wesley, and we kind of connected, and sooner or later he started calling me corned beef. <laughs> and when, when the teacher asked him, why are you calling him corned beef? And he was like, well, because his face looks like corn all over it. So I was the farting corn-faced ballerina. <laughs> Labels stick. And labels hurt. And I went through my teenage years with that kind of perception, being small, not being manly enough compared to all the other guys, not having what it takes. It's the labels that people place upon us, they hurt and they last and they seem to start changing the way that we see ourselves. But the truth is, it's now time to start saying no to the labels that people have placed upon us. What are these? Okay, some of you are a little bit unsure. A little louder. What are these? These are glasses. You can call these a pair of binoculars all you want. They're still glasses. You can say it with all the passion that you can muster that this is a periscope. These are still glasses. With everything inside you at the top of your lungs, you can shout, that is a camera. No, these are still glasses. It doesn't matter... It doesn't matter the label that you put on something, its design determines its identity. And if you don't have the authority to change its design, you don't have the authority to change its identity. God has designed us in a particular way for a particular function, to function in this world. I can go to pick and pay with a whole bunch of stickers that say Kellogg's cornflakes, and I can put that on all the Rice Krispies boxes, but I don't have the authority to change what's on the inside, so I don't have the authority to put a label on the outside, and that label changes nothing on the inside. However, you always see when, when manufacturers bring out something, it's new and improved, because they've changed what's on the inside, therefore they can put a new label on the outside. You need to stop letting people who do not have the authority to change what's on the inside of you to place a label on the outside of you that does not belong there, it's time to say no. No to the label of being a loose woman. No to the label of of not having it together. No to being a fool or being stupid or not having what it takes or being a coconut or whatever it might be. You need to start saying no to that label because it has no authority to stay there. Two people have the authority to label us because two people have the authority to change what's on the inside. You and God. Anything else, you gotta say no. Are you changing what's on the inside though? 
or are you just accepting it as it is? Are you just letting it kind of take charge and keep on going? Are you letting God change what's on the inside? But I'll tell you what, if you've got the authority to change what's on the inside, and if you've got the authority to put a new label on your life, you've got the authority to pull off the labels that do not belong there, it's time to say no. Those things hurt. Labels get stuck, and to peel them off, it, it hurts. But if you want to move forward, if, if you want your life to be everything that God has for it to be, you need to start saying no to certain labels. I love the label that God puts on us from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's what he thinks about you. And anything that is misaligned to God's truth about who you are has no place in your world. Number two, is everyone okay? We need to say no to negative people. Say no to negative people. Perhaps it's the people who've put a label on you. Is somebody in your world stealing your joy? Is there somebody in your world who's only adding pain? Are they sitting next to you right now? <laughs> it's time to say no. It's time to say no. Now, if you are sitting next to the person right now, if they are your spouse, I'm not advocating divorce, and I'm not saying bail out of marriage. I'm saying say no to all the things that are making your marriage unhealthy. You know, we may list a whole bunch of reasons why marriage fails, lack of communication, use of drugs, excessive drinking, not enough sex, not enough money. All those things certainly are reasons why people get divorced, but none of those are legitimate reasons why marriage fails because marriage doesn't fail. We fail marriage. God designed marriage to be holy and perfect and pure and wonderful. And it's time that we got ourselves to the point where we start saying no to everything that is disrupting and corrupting our marriage. Say no to the woman who's giving you those glances from across the office. Say no to that attitude that says, I'm, this is the way I am and I'm never changing. It's time to say no. There are other people you need to say no to. If you are on his list for booty calls at night, it's time to say no. If, if you've got a friend who's always trying to do that shady deal with you, it's time to say no. If you're with someone and you can't sneeze without their permission, if they're getting so jealous, they're always checking your phone, you can't go here or there or there without them, it's time to say no. There's a whole bunch of people that we need to be willing to say no to because all they're ever doing is taking up real estate in our lives and leaving us living like a shack when we should be living as the king of our own lives and they have no place there. Now, yes, we are called to serve people. We are called, as Jesus said, to go the extra mile, to turn the other cheek. And this doesn't negate any of that. In fact, when Jesus talks about those things, he talks about them as, as doing them from a position of strength. So when you turn the other cheek because somebody has slapped you, you're showing maturity, you're showing your grown-upness, and you're acknowledging that they are ignorant and they are small and you won't let them dictate who you are. If somebody's forcing you to go one mile and you're going a second mile with them, you're showing maturity by saying, fine, I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help, I'm gonna do whatever I can do in this world. I'm gonna show that my faith in Jesus Christ is bigger than any circumstance I face. It's from a position of strength that we do something that seems a little bit demeaning. But I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying if people are manipulating you, 
people are taking advantage of you, if people are abusing you, it is time to say no. We are not designed for abuse. We are not designed for manipulation. We are not designed to become a walking mat to other people. We are designed to take control of our lives, take responsibility of our lives, and to move forward because God doesn't want people dictating and deciding for us who and how and when we go through life. It's time to say no. As we come to the third point, um, does anybody know which minor holiday was celebrated on the 11th of March every year? Nobody? The 11th of March in South Africa is National Worship of Tools Day. Now, on National Worship of Tools Day, you are encouraged to go to your garage, take out all of your tools, and have a moment where you are grateful for the tools and what they've added to your life. You scrub them up, you clean them, you make them all neat and tidy, you rearrange them and put them back in the box. Hey, if you're feeling cute, you can go buy a whole bunch of new tools, add them to collection because it's National Worship of Tools Day, and we should honor the tools in our life. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Sounds quite stupid and, and quite weird. Yet without realizing it, all day, every day, every moment of the day, we celebrate National Worship of Tools Day. Your body is a tool. Nothing more, nothing less. Our body is our tool that God has given us to enable us to be active and functioning and serving and helping in this world. Yet we've got to a point where we've started worshiping the flesh. The flesh seems to have the final say when actually we should be saying no to the flesh. This is just a machine, yet we treat it like the monarchy. This is simply a device, but we treat it like a deity. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We are supposed to get to a point where we say no to our flesh. The world that we live in today is very much about just if you feel it, if your body wants it, then just go for it and pursue it. You can do whatever you want with your body. But the Apostle Paul has a very different perspective. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do. It's not the other way around. My body doesn't dictate to me what it wants, when it wants, how it wants it, and whenever it wants to have it. No, I discipline and I train my body. It is my tool. I am not my body. I dictate to my body what it needs, when it's gonna have it, and how it lives in this world. I discipline my body. Discipline means saying no. You know, when it comes to disciplining a child, you don't say to little Bobby, oh, it's okay, you can go wreck the entire house all you want, it's absolutely fine. No, you, you, you discipline them. My, my, my daughter did a, a very naughty thing at home the other day, and I'm not gonna share it with everyone because yeah, I do wanna protect the little two-year-old, but she did something very naughty, and you could see that she was feeling very bad about it, but when I got home, she still had to face the consequences. She still got a little smack on her bum, and she still felt terribly sorry for herself. But discipline means saying no. We, when it comes to our bodies, we need to say no. Our fleshly drives, our fleshly desires, just because your body wants it, just because you feel an urge towards it, doesn't mean that now you bow down and worship that. No, you get to a point where you say no. There are many things in this world that we'd love to say yes to, aren't they? Many wonderful things. I think in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it lists a whole bunch of things that we'd obviously want to say yes to, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, who doesn't want these in our lives? If we want to say yes to these things, well, that's wonderful. And God has these things for us if we live according to His Spirit. Because it says those who belong to Jesus Christ have, hang on a second. They've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If I want to say yes to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, it means that this body sometimes needs to hear the word no. In fact, the scripture goes on to say a little bit earlier than that verse, it said, for the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. Witchcraft actually is the, the root word is pharmakia, the word that we get pharmacy from. It's the use of drugs, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. If we want to be able to say yes to what the Spirit offers, we've got to say no to what the body wants. The body does not rule you. You rule your body. You dictate to your body what it wants, what it can have, what it can't have. We should not bow down to the desires of the flesh. We should dictate the desires of the flesh and train them and mold them and make them into what they should be. And again, it's, it's difficult because we become so accustomed to saying yes to our bodies. Sure, have another snort of that. Sure, enjoy that pleasure. Sure, find yourself at the bottom of a bottle or find yourself at the bottom of the ice cream tin again. It doesn't matter. We get so used to saying yes and yes and yes and yes when our body is actually craving to say no. And saying no to the flesh is just that much easier when we do it with the Holy Spirit because Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. One scripture in particular says, walk by the Spirit and you will never gratify the desires of the flesh. We need to learn how to say no to our bodies. Point number four, it is, it is, it's just getting quiet in Rivers Church right now. It doesn't even have to be Presbyterian today. Point number four, the next thing we have to say no to is our feelings. We have to say no to our feelings. I've used this illustration before in church, but it bears repeating. The English language is quite interesting and quite unique in that it takes our feelings, and when we are feeling something, we start to define ourselves by our feelings. So if I'm anxious, I say, I am anxious. I'm having an experience of anxiety, but it is defining me. I am anxious. In a language like German, you say it a little bit differently. You would say, ich habe Angst. I have anxiousness. Very big difference between the two. The one perspective says, I'm experiencing this and it is defining me. The other way says, I'm experiencing this, but I have it, it doesn't have me. So often we start defining ourselves and building ourselves on our feelings and our drives and our emotions. Again, very much the narrative of the world that we live in is that if you feel it, you should pursue it. If you want it, you should go for it. But God's instruction to us actually is, no, no, no. No, just because you feel it doesn't mean that you bow down to it. You take ownership of it, you deal with it, and you move on. You don't bow down to everything that you're feeling. We live in such a feelings-driven world that it's so easy for us. The moment a bad attitude arrives, we just give it the space that it wants. The, the moment victimization happens, we just allow ourselves to stay in that pity party. We aren't called to live that way. I love the perspective that the Apostle Paul has in Romans chapter 7. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, 
I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. You see, he draws a very clear distinction between who I am, what I should be doing, and the thoughts and the emotions and the feelings that I have that try to pull me off course. Oh, off course. He's saying that just because you feel something, just because you experience something, does not mean that suddenly you follow down that path. No, there's got to be a point where you say no. Now, I know what some of you scholars are thinking because you said that inside the scripture it said, it's no longer I who do it, but sin in me. That doesn't leave us off the hook. Just because, you know, sin does it in me, it doesn't mean that you go for free for all doing whatever you want, whoever you want, whenever you want. No, we are still 100% responsible for 100% of our thoughts, 100% of our feelings, and 100% of our actions. And that's why the Apostle Paul also says in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 10 verse 5, he says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Take captive every thought, every feeling, every emotion, and you force that thing to become obedient to Christ. Now just before we get to the last point, I thought pertinent now just to share three simple ways that will help us to say no. If you want to be able to just to get good at saying no. Firstly, you need to realign your values to Scripture. There needs to be a set standard that the moment you recognize that something confronts that value, you're able to say no. No, I don't steal from my work. No, I don't do underhanded business deals. No, I don't treat relationships like that. No, I've got a standard for my purity and for my sexuality. No, I'm aligning myself to the Word of God. And if anything ever comes against that, you clearly know what you will stand for and what you won't stand for. So realign your values to Scripture. Number two, establish your boundaries. Know your boundaries. Know what you will allow in your life and what you won't allow in your life. Be clear on yourself what is permissible and what is not permissible. Re-establish your boundaries. And then lastly, don't hesitate. Don't, when you're confronted, think, mm, oh, man, let me give it a little bit of thought. Sometimes you just have to say no straight away. And not every no needs an explanation. Not every no needs to have, well, actually, I can't do it because of this reason over here, and I was planning on, no. Sometimes you just need to say no and get going. When that guy is giving you eyeballs again or sending you texts, don't go down the road saying, mm, yeah, no, I don't think so. I'm washing my hair tonight. It's not a really good thing. Watching the fix on TV. No, just, just a no. Bro, no. I'm not going, no. Just no and keep you on going. Now, Before we get to the final point, I just want to rehash the, the ones that we've already gone through. And, and I would just love for you, just, just, just to practice, just to practice, as I say each one of these things, just to give a loud, bold, confident, resounding no. Is that okay? Okay, so firstly, labels. No. Negative people. No. Flesh. No. Feelings. No. Hell. I don't want to be crass, and I'm not trying to swear over here, but we need to get to the point where we say, hell, no. 
hell, no, you cannot have my marriage. Hell, you cannot have my children. You cannot have my husband. You cannot have my business. You cannot have my finances. Hell, you cannot have my health, my well-being. You can't have my joy. You can't have my spirit. You can't have my soul. Hell, no, you've got no jurisdiction over here. You've got no right to be in my life. Devil, no, not today. It's not gonna happen. Go walking because no. The enemy wants to get you in the areas where you have said no. Yes is easy. Yes is fun. Yes is enjoyable. But we need to say no if we want to experience the life that God has for us. If we want to experience the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It takes a no. And so the enemy will come saying, do you really want to be married? Do you really think it's that bad to you know, just slide a bit of money across the table? Did God really say that you shouldn't snort or you shouldn't drink? God, the, the enemy will want to find a way to just weasel himself into the areas of our greatest commitment. And we need to say, hell? No. Because devil? No. Not today. You know, it becomes that much easier to say no when you know who you are. In Roman times, um, when parents gave birth to a child, if for a particular reason they didn't approve of that child or didn't want that child, they could very easily just kick the child away, leave it to die, and never see it again. Now, inheritance was an important thing. To continue the family line was an important thing, and so, while people could very easily discard their children, adoption was a major facet of Greek culture or Roman culture and Roman living. In fact, it was a celebrated thing. In today's day and age, sometimes it might have a negative connotation that the child lost its parents or the child didn't have a place to be or, or maybe came from infertility. I think adoption is a beautiful thing. It's a righteous thing. It's a holy thing. But back in the day, adoption played an important part of culture. It meant a few things. If that child was adopted, first it meant that that child was wanted. If that child was adopted, it meant that child was chosen. If that child was adopted, even though the parents could kick away the child at birth, they could never, they could never, legally they could never discard an adopted child. When a child was adopted, any responsibilities that it used to have, any debts that were owed against that child, every single one of them was canceled. The child was brought into a new family, given a new name, and given new responsibilities. And then lastly, the moment that child gets welcomed into the family, if that child is the heir, the heir has immediate access to inheritance. Not like where we live today, where you only get the inheritance after somebody dies. No, your inheritance was living. And as long as your daddy had wealth, that wealth was yours as well. The Apostle Paul says that we are adopted. If we know that we are adopted. We know whose we are, and we know who we are. If we are adopted, we know that we are chosen. We are wanted. We can never be discarded by God, and He will never discard us. 
we know that if we're adopted by God, all of the debts of sin have been paid in full. And we are now fully changed and fully free because we belong to a new family. Our old responsibilities are gone. Our old persuasions are gone. We've got a new role, a new responsibility, and we've got access to all the wealth that heaven has to offer because it's a living inheritance because my daddy has got everything that I could possibly need and it is mine now as well. When we know that we are adopted, it becomes easier to say no. Because in my family, I don't behave like that. In my family, I don't speak like that. In my family, I don't do business like that. In my family, I don't do relationships like that because I've got a new name and I've got greater wealth than what you are offering me. So no, it's easy to say no. There's one area though in which we should never say no. And that is to God, our Father. You see, it's important to say no to the world around us because the world will want to take advantage of us. The world will want to change us for the negative. The world wants to bring us down to its standard. But God only ever wants to elevate us. He'll only ever act in our best interests. He only ever wants to give you something new and something better and something fresh. And while it might hurt and there may be challenges along the way, God's desire for us is only ever good. And because of that, He only ever deserves a resounding yes when it comes to Him. Because a yes to Him is the most powerful thing that we can do. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.